Hello beautiful people. Welcome back to Photo Country with Rajiv. I took a bit of a break for this set of new episodes. I have a great new group of photographers, curators and artists that I will be talking to over the course of next few weeks. And I can't wait to share those conversations with you. The first amongst this new set of artists that I spoke to is Ivo Ivano. A commercial and still photographer by trade and a motorcycle photographer by passion, he is originally from Bulgaria, now based out of London. I first came across his profile while I was researching how to light paint a friend's motorcycle. His portfolio of automotive images are just breathtaking. His images scream details and I really love his compositions. You should definitely check out his Instagram handle, Image Factory Studio and have a look at his work. I had a great chat with him about his work, the way he approaches motorcycle photography, and I also asked him about some of the images that I liked from his work and how he shot those images. So, without further ado, here is Ivo Ivanov. Thanks, Ivo. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Jeff, for having me in your podcast. I'm very excited to be here and to share my history, my story with, with the people that are following you. Just looking at your, your website and really love the the images that you had taken on the beach of that race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really lovely. It looks like it was taken years ago, you know. I noticed something. I mean, I started, I started visiting these events back in 2019. That was my first time. There was one major event which has happened in France, one in Denmark. And since 2018, there is a similar event that's happened here in UK. And they're all based on a traditional American beach race event, which happened in, I think, I can't even remember the name of the place, but it was somewhere in New Jersey. And it's very interesting because these events are so photogenic. You don't even need to look to the camera. You just point to the camera and the pictures happen. So, I mean, this is something very interesting and for me, this type of events are really celebrating the motoring culture and the photography in once, which from my point of view, this is something very interesting. Right. Do people come dressed like that in a very retro kind of outfits? That is one of the requirements of the organizers. They want okay. the vehicles, the bikes and the cars to be usually normally pre-50s or pre-60s and one of the requirements for the people that are racing those vehicles is to dress appropriately to the same kind of era. So yeah, the dress code, the actual dressing and the actual attire is specifically requested by the organizers. Okay. Interesting. And you know, it, it, it really sells the photograph. A lot of people asking me when they see these pictures, they ask me, oh, where's this place? We want to go. We want to see it. And the organizers realize actually that we photographers, we are the people that selling these events, putting these events outside on the map, showing to the people what's happened there. The one photograph that I really liked was of this couple and this lady is wearing a red cap and they're looking into the distance. I liked that photograph. And the other photograph that I liked was the girl jumping up in the air and waving the flag. Oh yeah, that's probably the pinnacle of the whole event. The flag girls, uh, they're really eye candies and people are pretty much, these pictures are probably the best representation of these events. The flag girl 
giving starts to the drug race is, is something absolutely iconic. So tell me something about how you started photography. I mean, I'm not a photographer by education. My secondary education is I'm actually a carpenter. And then I actually realized that I'm good in some disciplines, like I'm good in drawings and my university degree is a master's in industrial design. I never in my life work as an industrial designer, but this is where I discovered the photography. This is where I started experimenting back in time. Then the digital photography became a bit more affordable in terms of equipment. And somewhere around that point, I made Image Factory Studio. Oh, I think it was early 2000, 2002, 2003, somewhere there. And then I realized that this is something I would like to spent the rest of my life doing photography. I started with architecture first, pretty much as all my colleagues, either we started with shooting portraitures or shooting architecture or landscape. And when I moved to Germany for the first time in 2008, I actually realized that studio photography and more specifically cars, bikes, automotive is something that I really would like to do as my career. Unfortunately, things didn't happen the way I was anticipating. And a year later, I moved back home, tried to find something similar, but the place where I'm from back in Bulgaria, things are not really developed to the same level as I was looking to deal with. And back in 2012, I made my decision to move my country for good. And I moved to London and at first it did happen. It was a lot of struggle. My savings dissolved very quickly in London. I mean, London is an extremely expensive place to live with on savings. If you're not earning money or if you don't have a sufficient amount of money, London can be a very tricky place to survive. Late 2012, I was lucky to find a job in a real estate, starting photographic properties. And somewhere around late 13, I replied to an advert about a small still life studio was looking for retoucher. And this is how I started back in 2013, working in a company that today is known as Lux. And this is where I'm working today. This is a small, a very small, we are a very small team, about seven people based in East London. We're dealing with still life, advertising still life, high-end advertising still life photography. And I'm working there on a full-time basis, Monday to Friday as a photographer and retoucher. And this is pretty much in a nutshell, is my history, is who I am. I had a look at the uh, uh, Deluxe uh, website and just jaw-dropping visuals. Thank you. Uh, really uh, amazing stuff. So let's talk about your passion for automotive and motorcycle <laughs> photography. Yeah. So you probably photographed every model that's out there from the Harleys and the Triumphs, the Indians and so on. Is there any favorites amongst all these lovely motorcycles? I still haven't photographed my favorite bike. Let me start like this. When you look to my work, you will see that I have my sweet spots, the vintage stuff, the stuff that's been built between, let's say, late 30s, early 40s, the last century to 
all the way to late 60s, early 70s. So we're talking 1930s to kind of 1960s, 1970s. And every brand that exists during that time as a model that I admire, you can take any brand, you can take a British brand, you can take a German brand, you can take American brand. And every brand as a model that I admire and I'm really, I'm really enjoying in a very visual way. I'm really enjoying every single bike, even the, even the modern one. But if I need to name a couple of brands or a couple of bikes, I would probably say uh, some of my very favorite bikes are the American bikes in the late thirties, early forties, the pre-war bikes. Also, some of my very favorite German bikes are the post-war BMWs, the one that late 40s to the mid-60s. And of course, British manufacturers like Triumph, like Norton, like BSA, they also had a very interesting models between late 40s and like mid-60s. I have a very long list with the bikes I would like to photograph, but it's a very difficult to get hands on these bikes because Especially the older the bike, the more difficult it is to find a bike in a condition that it's good to photograph. I like the bike to be, to show the age, to see the patina, to see the history of this bike, to see how thousands of miles on the clock and how this bike's being used by its owners or one owner or, or several different owners. And there is a history in these things. There is a stories in these things. And people, most of the time, you can tell about the owner by just looking at the bike. And yeah, there, there are so many bikes I would like to photograph. But Jen. You sort of answered a part of the question that I was going to ask, mm-hmm. which is how do you get access to these beauties? Do people approach you or you go and actively search for these bikes? The event you mentioned in the beginning, these beach events, it's a very good place to meet people with these machines, to meet people that own these bikes. And I'm using this time, I'm using these encounters with these people to talk about them. And if they're based in UK, I, I'm really keen. If I see something I like, I'm ready to negotiate with the owner in order to have this bike in the studio or somewhere where it's more convenient for the owner, let's say somewhere area nearby his place. Of course, there are people that found me on internet and they have their bikes and they like their bikes to be photographed. Of course, there is a magazines as well, which would like to feature an article about specific bikes. But most of the time I'm actively looking for bikes. And if I see something I like, I really would like to get in touch with the owner and discuss possibly either a studio photo shoot or somewhere outdoor. I mean, I prefer to be in the studio because things are a lot more controlled and we're not really dependable on the atmospheric situation outside. I mean, UK is a bit tricky in terms of weather. So most of the time it's either rainy or windy and some people are very reluctant to put their 70 or 80 years old bikes outside in the rain or outside in the bad weather. There's a couple of photographs that I really liked was a series that you did on the German bike, which is the red color bike, outdoors. It's not like a super close-up. I think it's in a parking lot and it's sort of in the distance. It's just emerging and almost like hiding behind pillars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this one. I know it's, uh, 
it's looked like he's being shot in an underground garage or something like that. That is a 2019 Indian chieftain. The Germans from India gave me this bike. It was a very interesting story because one of my best friends had weddings at that year, 2019. And the wedding was happening back home, back in Bulgaria. And because he's a, he's a big motorcycle fanatic and he decides the wedding to be a motorcycle wedding. So every, <laughs> yeah, every single one of his best men, all the main guests supposed to be on the bikes. And he invited me and one of his main conditions was, I don't know how, but I want to see you on the bike. And I was like, but I don't have bike back home. My bike is here in UK. He was very determined. He said, I don't care. I will find your bike if necessary, but <laughs> I want you on my wedding on a bike. And I said, okay, so fine. I'll try something. There was a five, six months time and I get in touch with some of the people from India that I know and I used to work at that time. They came back later after a month and they said, you know what? We can give you a bike. You just need to pop up in Germany, collect the bike and then ride back home. That was a good plan. With one minor detail, I never really did such a big distance from Germany to Bulgaria on, on a motorbike. So I found that we drove the van to Germany, we collect the bike, we took the bike all the way back home to Bulgaria. So okay. anyway, we moved the bike and I actually spent nine days with this bike on my own. I went to the wedding with the bike. And then I spent some time photographing this bike and it's turned out really nice, very nice. The, the location you're talking about is actually an Ikea store parking lot, <laughs> which is, yeah, which actually is a very popular photography spot. You're listening to Photo Country with Rajiv. If you like this episode, do subscribe to my newsletter on Substack, photocountry.substack.com. Now back to the conversation with Ivo Ivanov. How do you actually come up with that concept of this bike? Because the interesting thing about these photographs is the bike is not front and center. It's like part of the image. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a character hiding behind and just revealing parts of it. That's why that series I find very interesting. Before I approach a bike, everything is planned. I started an idea about the bike, starting with having a visuals in my head, how I visualize this bike. Then I spent some time researching the bike. I just like to get familiarized with all the details, everything. I'm also curious what color is the bike, if the bike is available. I like to see the bike prior to the shoot. I like to see it. In the flesh, I like to see it like a real thing. And I'm usually spending 15, 20 minutes, how complex is the bike, walking around, just spending time observing the bike from different angles. It's very difficult to explain the whole process. It's, a, it's something that during the years, it's just stuck in my head as a routine thing. I just walk around the bike. I'm just finding the best possible that I think from my point of view, angles and perspective point of views that work. And I realize even if you make a step back or step forward, the bike changed drastically. So when you move the camera, let's say a half a meter to the left or half a meter to the right, the bike changed drastically. It's, a, it's such a big difference and you only move the camera 
half a meter to the left or half a meter to the right, or you make a step back and step forward. And always when people ask me how to approach something I never photographed before, how I can do something that I see for the first time, if it's something you control the time, and if it's something you control the situation, don't grab the camera immediately. Just spend some time, evaluate the situation, evaluate the light. If necessary, reposition it, turn the bike, point it differently, look for the background, look for where the light is coming from, and then everything which will start shaping in your head. Then take your camera and look to your camera, look to your viewfinder or screen, because the camera is seeing slightly different from what we see. It's not exactly the same. If necessary, change the lens or change the focal distance or change the distance between you and the bike. And it's always trial and error. I mean, even for me doing this for already, what, five, six years, specifically with the bikes, I'm still finding myself in the situations where I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Just leaving the camera on the floor, making a step back, seeing the bigger picture, evaluating how things need to happen. It's very helpful. And predominantly the majority of my photography, Jeff, is done in this manner. I'm evaluating the situation, thinking about all the possible scenarios. And then from all these possibilities, I'm picking the few options that I think will portray this machine in its best way. I have a background in industrial design. And to be honest, frankly, this helps a lot because I'm reviewing the motorcycle as a group of objects. A fuel tank is one object, an engine is another object, the seat is another object, the wheels are a different pair of objects. And every time I'm putting all this together and trying to position, trying to find the best way to showcase this, it's always worked for me. So it's a process that I developed for myself during the years. And I think at the end of the day, most probably 90% of the time, this approach give great results for my work. As you can see on my portfolio, I think this result is really delivering. Right. Right. And the other series that I liked was the series that you did on the 2017 Triumph, the one which is on a black background, very low-key kind of a image. Oh, so the one you're saying is is a bike of a friend of mine. I really like the silhouette of this bike. It's for me, as I graduated in industrial design, this silhouette is just perfect. The whole machine is all the proportions, all the lines, everything is where it's supposed to be. And when you have the right angle, when you see the right angle and when you use the right light, everything is just syncing perfectly. And in this picture, it's only one or two pictures, I think one, one front and one side. And there was yes. one detail, one detail of the batch of the petrol tank. I didn't really spend much time with this bike. Unfortunately, I only made a couple of shots of it, but this is one of the, maybe the most gorgeous, the most beautiful bikes that exist today on the market. And for me, it was absolute pleasure to photograph this bike. It was such a nice outcome, such a nice result. Yes. I really love the dark backgrounds and stark images. Especially the 2002 Ducati MH-900 that you had photographed? Oh, the metal blue one. Personally, it's not something I like. 
but it was a client bike. It's just something is not quite there for me. <laughs> but I managed, I managed, the client was very happy with the results. And I managed to do my job, like, despite the fact that this bike is not the bike I would go for if I was choosing a bike, this probably will be, I don't know, somewhere way back in my list, Jeff. Right. But the bike turned out really nicely. The client was overnable. And I mean, for me, if I walk away from my opinion, it's a lovely bike. It's a very nice bike. It's just not something that tick my boxes, but this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean the bike is not good. It's just doesn't appeal to me. And of course, my opinion is completely subjective and personal. Let's talk about the gear that you use, the technique that you use, especially uh -huh. for taking this, it's a black background and the machine just pops out of the image and the focus on the details. How do you do that? Do you do like a light painting kind of an effect? Do you use continuous light or flash in this process? Like how does it work? The whole process starting, as I said, starting on the idea. And during the years, I realized that a capture straight out of the camera is not good enough to be, to justify what I would like to present to the people. In today's advertising industry, Photoshop and post-production, taking a massive part in the final, how the final product, the final image we look on the magazines, the final image we look on the billboards out there on the streets. Most of these, predominantly actually all of these photographs are heavily retouched. I'm using a lot of Photoshop and in my work, there is no image that is a single image final result shot. And let me explain what this means. None of my portfolio are single image photographs. They're all what I'm, what I mean, in our industry calling composites. So they are created from multiple different images in which you're trying to photograph different elements of the bike. The light is purposely built for separate objects. So in one picture, you build the light for your wheels. In the next picture, you build the light for the fuel duct or for the seat. In the next picture, you build a light for the engine part. And of course, the camera and the bike needs to stay in the exact same position. And then in Photoshop, all these different captures are merged into a single component or composite. And this is usually how my work is being done. Of course, everything needs to be done in a very precise way because you can't just go walk around and light different parts of the bike. You need to have a general idea where the light is coming from. So everything, when you look at the final image, everything look very logical, very believable, and the viewer and not questioning your final result. It doesn't look, oh, wait a second, something's not quite right here. Light on the petrol stack come from a, and light on the wheels come from underneath or something like that. And this instantly raises questions about the integrity of the entire photograph. It has to be done in a very specific way where every single 
object, every single element of the bike is lit the exact same way as the rest of the bike. So there is a continuity. There is a kind of, at the end of the process, the final image look real. You can tell that this composite. And often people ask me exactly the same question, Roger. Oh, what type of light you using? What camera are you using? How this is done? And I'm always unhappy to explain. I'm actually, I'm always open. Colleagues of mine, I really like to pop up in the studio and see how I work. I have no secrets. No, there is no, I mean, you can find everything in internet these days. YouTube is full with tutorials and videos about how to light products, how to light portraits, how to light people, how to light cars and boings, everything. So all you need to do is a bit of research and experiment and things will start happening. If you're more consistent, things will start happening. But my work is very time consuming. So one photograph usually take me, I will say sometimes a few hours in order to achieve what you see on my website, sometimes the different bits that's necessary for this one single photograph can take me up to a couple of hours. And it's very, sometimes it is, it's very annoying because every time you need to move the light, go back, do the shot, review the shot. You need to see if what you did is the right light. If it's not the right light, go back there, tweak the light, do another shot, go back, review the shot. And you need to repeat this sometimes 12, 13, 14, 15 times, depend how much elements you're aiming to photograph over this bike. And then of course, once you finish, there is a post-production time. There is a retouching time and you need to spend time in Photoshop in order to merge all this. This is another couple of hours. So at the end of the day, a finished photograph sometimes require four, maybe five hours of photography and post-production, but it's a very time, extremely time consuming process. And right. in order to continue this quality, in order to deliver this quality, I'm spending a lot of time, a lot of preparation, a lot of photography time, and then a lot of post-production. Mm -hmm. So when you're a hobbyist photographer, you can't really spend so much on equipment, limited based on how much money you have. Of course. Yeah. Having said that, let's say I have a, I have a camera, a lens, and maybe a speed light. Is it possible for me to sort of get a beginning in the kind of photography that you do in terms of starting to do something in underwater motorcycle photography, is it possible with limited equipment? Sometimes equipment is a very overrated part of the career part of a photographer. I did an experiment about maybe seven, eight months ago. Is it possible to capture a motorcycle with a cell phone, just with a cell phone, with nothing more? A lot of today's cell phones on the market are delivering exceptional results. I mean, I've been seeing really mind-blowing stuff done with just one of these things, one of the either iPhone or Google Pixel phone or Samsung or Sony, whatever, name it. But 
go back to your question. If you have a very minimal, like a basic equipment, let's say a 50 millimeter basic plastic lens with a, some entry level less camera or DSLR and a speed light, like a normal entry level speed light. Yes, I will say yes, it's possible. It's possible to start photographing. I've been seeing colleagues shooting with similar equipment and their results are really quite something. I was literally, sorry, you shot this with what? Oh, <laughs> all right. Okay. I really like to have as much as possible equipment as possible, but that's me. I will recommend to anyone with this kind of little amount of equipment, I will recommend to pay more attention to the composition and to how the light, the natural light hits the objects. So composition and light, the two very extremely important elements in the photography and equipment is mounting. Equipment can be changed. Equipment can broke. Equipment can be stolen. Equipment can be Anything can happen and pretty much every level of equipment these days can deliver a really good results. Even the pocket cameras, the Sony, the Fuji, the Panasonic pocket cameras, even without interchargeable lenses, with the built-in lenses, they can deliver a pretty good results. But what's important is to pay attention on the composition and on the light, because these are the two major elements that even the people with tens of thousands of value of equipment, sometimes they end up in a very kind of nasty loophole and they're relying on the equipment and they're not paying attention to a very basics, which are composition and light. And it doesn't really matter what equipment you, you own, as long as composition and light done the right way, I will say probably sometimes you don't need even a flash, a flashlight, you can rely entirely on what's happened outside of the day of the, I mean, you will be dependable, of course, on the daylight, but pointing your effort into crafting and mastering the light, the natural light, and more important, the composition and how the element in the composition interact between each other is more important, in my opinion, Jeff. Very useful points, even yeah. for any getting talked for. So just to finish off a couple of questions, uh, one, how are you evolving as a motorcycle photographer? What's next in that journey for you? And secondly, what will be your parting advice for newbie photographers who want to get into motorcycle photography or still life photography? I don't think the motorcycle photography or automotive photography in general will become my main source of incomes, my main kind of uh, daily job. I like to keep this as a side hustle, as something that give me pleasure, give me enjoyment, because once it's turned into a daily life job, it's kind of losing the flair, losing this kind of excitement. And I like to keep it as something on the side. Plus today in this industry, it's very difficult to survive only with automotive photography. Let's say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was completely possible to call yourself automotive photographer and survive just with the job that automotive industry sourcing to you. So that's why I'm planning to keep my normal daily job as a studio life, as a 
studio still life photographer because it's part of me i kind of i really it's really grown up on me for these eight years now and i'm really enjoying being in this team the guys the people there are absolutely amazing really enjoying going to work every day and i'm really enjoying being part of flux photo digital team i mean it's in i'm really finding it as something very interesting and for my career development lux photo digital is playing extremely big part i really would like to work with some bigger brands i like to probably have clients like harley davidson or clients like triumph and regarding your second question it's always difficult to give an advice to to the people that would like to make a breakthrough in this industry or try to get more serious with photography, with any type of photography, not just with still life or product photography or motorcycle automotive photography. I will try not to give the cliches like, oh, never give up or always, always being true to yourself. I don't want to sugarcoat these, these things because it's a very difficult industry. It's very difficult to get into it and it's even more difficult to stay into it because if you open one of the social networks, if you open websites like Big Hands or even if you scroll on Instagram, you have a millions and millions of photographs and probably half of them above average, above decent, they are good. They are very good people out there creating content on a daily basis and you need to realize, you need to understand that you're going to be in an ocean of these images and your images will be out there trying to compete for interest, trying to compete for attention. And as we all know, people have a very extremely short attention span these days, which is really not good for our job as a photographers. It's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. There is no such thing as overnight success. Most of the time you post on Instagram or you post on social networks will be probably a huge disappointment, but you probably need to continue trying. You probably need to believe that you're doing something that's better and you need to find what I found very helpful for myself. And I always recommend it. And that will be my advice to all the people, all the colleagues that would like to get more serious into industrial commercial type of photography or any type of photography, try to find a similar environment, try to find colleagues, try to find people that you can talk, you can exchange ideas, you can bounce ideas with them. You can talk about photography. You need an environment that will encourage you to continue going because you can lose your interest so easily after a month posting on Instagram, and I mean, I'm not joking, social network today is brutal. It's absolutely ruthless. You can try to post there and after a month, you can realize that pretty much no one really is interested in your work. No one really showing any interest in your work. And this can really bring you down. This can really can kill your enthusiasm. That is something that can be very very dangerous in your career development because social network is good, but it's very extremely difficult to get recognition there, to have people that like your work, people that will 
give you a fair amount of opinion. People that will like your work because your work matters something for someone. And that is a very extremely difficult. So you need to find a reason why in photograph don't do photographs because Instagram don't do photographs because you want to post it on the social network. Do photographs because you're enjoying it. Do photographs because you like to show to the rest of the world something. Instagram is just a platform. Instagram shouldn't be the reason you having a camera. And I'm seeing often, I'm seeing often this in colleagues. The reason for having a camera is because they want to be photographers on Instagram. Ask you, ask yourself, what's going to happen if Instagram disappeared tomorrow? If you wake up one morning and Instagram is no longer think, because this has happened. It's happened with Flickr. It's happened with what was MySpace. 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 Yeah, it's happened with AOL. It's happened with a lot of companies that were very trendy. They were very famous, very hip. And five years, 10 years down the line later, no one really remember Flickr. No one really remember MySpace and they're gone. And don't rely on Instagram. Instagram is a good platform. Instagram is a good window to display your stuff, but yeah. don't be discouraged by the lack of interest of Instagram. Try to find people and talk like we did back in time. When I was a kid, there was no Instagram. So you need to put your shoes on. You need to walk out your house. You need to go and meet friends. You need to go and talk with other photographers about photography. And that is my advice. Do the photography because of the sake of actual photography. Don't do it because you want to show it on Instagram. That is diminishing the whole purpose of photography. Famous last words, Ivo. Great, great piece of advice. Thanks, Ivo. Thanks a lot for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Jeffy. It was really fun talking about my stuff with you. Thanks, Ivo, for a great conversation. You can check out his work on Instagram. His handle is Image Factory Studio or his website, which is imagefactory-studio.com. His work is available as gorgeous photo books that you definitely need to check out. On our next episode, we talk to Gary Rush, a photographer, educator, and curator from Toronto, Canada. Gary is an expert on the zone system and is passionate about photographing cameras. Sounds interesting, right? I will catch you on the next episode. Till then, stay safe and keep clicking.